Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women to challenge expectations, creating a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. You guys, I'm really excited about today's conversation. So this is going to be a little bit out of the ordinary. Today, I did not conduct a survivor interview. Instead, I brought my teammate, Nicole, to the microphone. I do a little introduction in the beginning, but it's important for me to let you know from the outset that Nicole is a trained therapist by trade. She's also an artist and an art therapist, and she has all of this extraordinary wisdom to share with us. But the reason I brought her to you today is that we started to really realize how intense this Survivor Series has been for our audience. And I think in many ways that intensity has been healing, but we also just really wanted to come up a level and share some tools and tactics with you um, about how to deal with the things that you're hearing in these podcasts, but more importantly, how to deal with trauma in your own lives. You know, the reality is that one in four of us are survivors of sexual assault. One in three have suffered a miscarriage or the loss of a child. It's very likely that anybody listening to this podcast has experienced trauma in some form. And so part of our job as The Beautiful Project is to help hold up a mirror for you, for you to understand all of the parts of you, and for you to find hope in your own healing. We can't expect you to figure that out on your own. And so today marks the beginning of some new podcasts that we'll be dropping, sort of peppered in throughout the Survivor Series, that are really aimed at helping you to find your own path for healing. I hope you enjoy. Let's welcome Nicole. So this is Nicole. And um, Nicole, you have been introduced to Nicole via a couple of blog posts. Nicole is part of the team that makes the beautiful project happen. And Nicole has this extraordinary background. So currently, she is in more of an administrative position in a social services agency, a nonprofit, which is a tremendous passion of hers to help survivors. Um, But Nicole also has a degree in art therapy. And uh, she's an artist. In her core, she loves to create things. And so obviously this combination of skills, or maybe not obvious to you, dear audience, but this combination of skills for me was extremely appealing when we thought about uh, all of the menu of services or ways that we wanted to deliver content through the beautiful project. Her eye and expertise and her ability to create but then her also, she also has an ability to take what she creates and use it to help people heal. Like that is the best of both worlds. So Nicole's sitting down with me today. Say hi, Nicole. Hello. Isn't she have a great voice? Okay, so this is Nicole. And um, we are just doing like a little surprise podcast today. So just a little background. When I had the idea to do the Survivor Series, I was really excited about the power of the human spirit because I, I experience it all of the time. And so I really wanted to host this season in a way that allowed women to crack open their own stories, share the details that were comfortable for them, but really share with the people around them the wisdom that they needed in order to heal the way that they had healed and go back out into their lives So this is sort of the window that I wanted to give you into their lives. And I think in many ways, that is exactly what what has happened through these first eight or nine episodes. The unanticipated side effect of that is 
um, this reality called secondary or vicarious trauma. So what does that mean? Nicole, do you want to define that? I would love to define vicarious trauma. Thank you. So vicarious trauma is like psychological or emotional residue that is absorbed by individuals who help others who've experienced some type of trauma. Mm -hmm. So we see this in therapists. We see this in sexual assault and domestic violence advocates. We see it in anyone in a helping professional, um, a helping profession that takes in and listens to people's traumatic stories over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And eventually that residue um, changes that individual who is empathic and accepting those stories and, and helping those individuals deal with their trauma. And then it manifests itself in the, in the helping um, professionals in ways um, that present sometimes uh, similar to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder effects, <clears throat> or um, just other ways where um, if, if folks are really in tune with their vicarious trauma, they will start to notice changes in, in their behaviors, their thoughts, their actions, um, and that's when they uh, need to take a step back and, and think about um, self-care mm-hmm. and um, maybe taking a break from listening to all awesome. of the trauma. So how this becomes relevant to you all, I mean, to me, it's a pretty clear crosswalk, but um, if you follow the podcast, then you've heard, I can't remember right now if it's eight or nine, but it's a lot of uh, traumatic stories in a row. And as we finish the rest of the season, they don't get any lighter. So um, it was just really important for me to, to have this conversation with Nicole, drop this episode on the pod, first because of the experience of listening to the podcast, but second because I think if I look at the common human experience, I think this experience of vicarious trauma is present in our lives in general. I think, um, I don't know that there's any actual research around this, but it would not surprise me if women were more susceptible based on their presence in empathetic roles, right? So so anybody who has experienced some type of trauma is automatically more susceptible to vicarious trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knowing what we know about uh, the facts of how many women are, become uh, victims or survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence, mm-hmm. which is one in four, uh, you're right. The the statistics don't lie, and yes, women are naturally at a higher risk of vicarious trauma and um, at a higher risk of being triggered listening to somebody else's trauma um, because it could mirror or in some way, shape, or form, you know, have some type of uh, connection or similarity to their own trauma, and then it brings up all of those feelings that they may have were already worked through, mm-hmm. uh, but still it, it brings up those emotions and those uh, responses that are deeply embedded mm-hmm. in in not only our brain, but in the way we, we feel. So uh, <clears throat> one of the things I, I talk about when I talk about, you know, just how ingrained some things um, can be, especially for trauma survivors, is all of our senses. So I will always think of 
summer or not summer winter vacations in Sanibel Island when I smell a certain type of sunscreen Mm -hmm. because we use it every time we were down there. Mm -hmm. So if I was sexually assaulted by an individual who had a certain type of cologne on or perfume or just a scent, any type of of scent that is similar to that may trigger Mm me going back to the assault that I had. So just listening to someone's story um, could trigger that for any of our audience members who have already experienced some type of trauma. Right. And so with a statistic of one in four, we felt pretty confident that uh, if we were going to proceed responsibly or in any way that honored who you are as an audience, then we needed to start to give you some insight into this potential impact. And then secondly, we wanted to give you some idea about just some basic strategies about what you can start to do with it, uh, with this experience of being like either triggered or um, looking at your own behaviors. And I, Because the last thing that we want, the goal here is not to re-traumatize people. I right. said this all along, actually. And as a result, in the editing process and in the interview process, I um, am intentional about how much clear detail we offer and you know but still I have survived trauma enough to know that you don't have to give detail for my brain to be able to jump in there and write its own story mm-hmm. right exactly. I just need one point of commonality and I can be down the road yeah right so so we got to get you back got to get you back yes so I was curious if you would share with the audience, your own experience of vicarious trauma and kind of how you recognize it yourself. Yeah. So, um, I know that I, I have enough residue, um, of vicarious trauma when, um, certain, what I call my, my warning signs, my red flags, um, pop up for me. And, and it's taken me a long time in the helping profession to understand what those are and a lot of training around what vicarious trauma is to start to connect, oh, this is why I was acting this way or this is why I was bothered by this particular random comment that somebody made that was totally not intended to upset me. Um, so I don't want our audience to think that they're automatically going to be able to identify everything yeah. for themselves, um, but to be aware of it and to be cognizant of when your behaviors or thoughts um, just might vary um, out of the the realm of normal for Mm -hmm. for most folks. That could be a a warning sign. Um, But for me, I I knew it. One one of my ways I automatically know is when I come home from work and I immediately am on edge and have no patience for any of the people in my home who I love dearly and love me back dearly. Um, When I feel that sense of I could just yell at anyone at any moment, Mm -hmm. even if they're just saying, hi, mom. Yeah. Right? What? I know. Did you say hello to me? If I hear my name one more time, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, So that's when I know I need to to take a step back. And so here's the other thing as a helping professional and as a mom and as a woman, I I think it's really hard for us to prioritize ourselves sometimes. And often I feel that our society makes us feel guilty for doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want folks to think about. Like, we deserve 
to put ourselves first, especially when we're experiencing vicarious trauma. We have to because others depend on us. Mm -hmm. So if we can't identify when we are on the edge of vicarious trauma and and pull out our toolkit of self-care to help ourselves, we're not going to be any good for those around us. And in fact, we could do more harm to those around us because we are not in a good place to be helpers, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And self-care, you talked about this on one of the podcasts. Self-care doesn't have to be extravagant. I talk about this a lot. This is a hot button thing for me. Self-care can be me taking an extra 20 minutes to get home Mm -hmm. because I need... um, I need that separation between all the stuff I dealt with at work mm-hmm. and home because I don't want the two to spill into each other. Mm-hmm. Self-care can be when I get home, I have a very specific ritual that I do to remind myself in all of my senses that I am home and this is my safe space. So maybe I light incense. Mm-hmm. Maybe I come home and put on certain music. Maybe I um, you know, come home and change my clothes. My husband does that. When he gets home, the first thing he does is he changes out of his work clothes and into comfortable clothes. Mm-hmm. And and I, that man is a man of habit. And I can tell as soon as he's out of those clothes, he's in... He shifts. He's in... Yeah, he yeah. totally shifts. And he's yeah. in home mode. So he doesn't know that's what he's done, mm-hmm. but I can see it, yeah. right? So everyone is going to have to figure out what their version of self-care is. Um, but if it involves them taking time to their self, themselves without anybody else being involved, that's okay. And I think that's the biggest thing um, that was hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get home. My kids are young. I only have so many daylight hours with them before they have to go to bed. But if when I'm there, I'm not fully present with them, then what good am I? You know, I think you're in that moment, you're speaking to every mom who's listening who hasn't necessarily been experiencing vicarious trauma or could have been in many ways and is just not aware of it, you're talking about the experience of saying, I matter here. Yeah. I matter in this system. I matter in these relationships. I matter, and I'm going to find a way, no matter how small, to honor that fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned uh, taking longer to get home. Mm-hmm. So your let's retrace. Your red flag is a lack of patience. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, a lack of patience. Uh, another red flag for me, and this is, um, I bet a lot of you are going to think about this now, is when I'm sitting across from somebody in a conversation, and then all of a sudden I realize I have no idea what that person is talking about, and I've been staring at them for the last five minutes. Very good eye contact. Yeah, you no, think I'm listening to yeah. you, yeah, yeah. but I am checked out somewhere else. Yeah. Like I cannot consume any more of anybody's conversation because I am, I'm at my limit. That That's a, a good, a good sign for me that I'm, I'm toast. Mm-hmm. I need, I need to, um, do some, some major self care. Um, also, uh, the other trigger or red flag I have for myself is when, um, and this sounds pretty obvious, but when I 
when I have no tolerance for even the the smallest, easiest question Mm. um, that somebody asks me at work or at home and that I'm just like, I can't understand why people have to be stupid and why they don't know the answer to this, right? (laughs) When when that's my internal response... Something's wrong. Something's wrong, right? Which ties back to the, the whole having patience for folks, but... That, that is when I know, because I am by nature, uh, there's not a dumb question. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. I, I want to make you a successful person in whatever realm you're in. So if, if I don't have the patience to answer a simple question, then I know um, I, need, I need a break. Mm-hmm. And I need to, to, to do self-care. So one of the things that's been interesting for me in this process of having recorded these interviews, this uh, for the I started in November, so it's about five months um, <clears throat> I am a connected person. I crave connection. It's the reason I do all of this work, right? So I had thought a lot about how to be somewhat protective of my own um, internal landscape as I was listening to these stories. But the challenge as an interviewer is I have to stay connected. Mm-hmm. I can't, there is no detachment in that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would know it on the other side of the, there's no point in it. There's no point and me asking a woman to crack herself open and then not being wholly present to that. Right. So um, it's been a it's been a mm, practice about how much of that I take with me and even it's kind of, I love the residue idea because even if I like have done all of this internal work to like take an energetic shower, it's like soap on your skin. It's mm-hmm. there's residue. You're yeah. absolutely right. So um, it has been, in fact, the, I'm going to do one more, I'm going to record one more interview this Friday and I know for sure I am at my limit of stories that I can mm-hmm. hold. And I want the audience to know that that doesn't mean that you've overwhelmed me or that's important. I don't want that to be communicated. Um, it's just been a lot of cumulative, uh, residue mm-hmm. on my skin. Yeah. Right. And I am grateful and honored by by their willingness to share, but I'm also, I also need to demonstrate the thing I preach, which is I know I'm full for now. And if I'm full, that tells me too that the audience is probably full as well. And actually, this isn't necessarily in our content today, but to that end, we are going to start dropping in some um, other, maybe a little bit lighter conversations with myself and Nicole and Kate um, just talking about some of the content that we play with in the beautiful mm-hmm. project, not necessarily related to the Survivor series, primarily to give you all um, a little breathing room too with the intensity of these stories. So if you see something outside of the Survivor series drop, don't think I've given up on it. I haven't. We'll finish all of those interviews, but we need to um, bring you some balance of. Um, really excavating these deep things in you and then coming up a level and letting you exhale and maybe giving you some tools around what to do with the things that we help you uncover. So that's coming in the next probably month, I would say. Um, So speaking of tools, Mm -hmm. I was going to share a little bit about what the experience feels like for me. Um, Because Nicole shared about... Patience being a big thing, spacing out being a big thing. Um, so for me, what happens is when I know that I've had too much, it's I actually feel numb. I can't, I can't feel anything at all anymore. Um, 
and I then I mean that in the whole array of emotion. I can't walk into my house and feel connected or love or like I love anybody there. I don't even feel like I hate them. I just don't feel it's the absence sure. of anything. Sure. That's how I usually that's um I'll start to notice that in my normal life. And what'll happen is I just have to give myself a little bit of space to connect to the experience that I just went through. And generally my body will release it. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, I will sob like the kind that comes from your belly Mm -hmm. and um, where you like take the, you know, ragged breath, can't breathe. Um, It's the way that my body has to, that's how my body kind of washes that residue Mm -hmm. off. But that's, talk about things we don't give ourselves permission to do. Yeah. I think, again, women in particular, but men too, I actually think this is probably true of our culture in general, we don't give a lot of space for what we consider to be not positive emotion, Mm -hmm. negative emotion, right? And particularly when you're experiencing trauma, processing trauma, uh, experiencing vicarious trauma, you you have to invite yourself to that whole array of emotion. Yeah. Don't we? Wouldn't you say yes? Yes. And what you're talking about, I love I love what you're talking about uh, because trauma embeds itself, whether it's that residue yeah. or the actual experience of trauma embeds itself in our body. Yes. Right? So you and I have talked about eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Yes. Right? EMDR. Yes. Yeah. EMDR is based on the fact that uh, we believe that these memories of these traumatic events and the... Uh, you know, reactions to these memories are deeply embedded Mm -hmm. in uh, your brain Mm -hmm. and that your neurotransmitters, um, uh, you know, recall those things. And so what EMDR does is it connects your left brain to your right brain, um, back and forth. Uh, it's all about back and forth. Yep. And it and the goal is to, to reprogram your brain. Our brains are amazing, amazing things. Mm-hmm. And they are resilient. And so what that therapeutic modality does is try and reroute mm-hmm. those particular memories, those senses, those reactions in a way that doesn't cause you to go so numb you can't feel. Right. Right. That you still feel and remember, yeah. but your reaction in those moments of feeling and remembering don't paralyze you mm-hmm. or uh, don't make you so scared to leave your house because it's somehow, um, not you in particular, but that could be yeah. someone else, no, um, yeah. you're, you're so triggered by you know a traumatic event. So one of the tools that I uh, suggest for people is bilateral stimulation um, as a a tool of self-care. And what I mean by that is anything that gets your left brain and your right brain connected. Mm -hmm. So for some people, it's running. Mm -hmm. Nobody has to go out and run. They can walk. Yes. You can walk. Mm -hmm. And you can focus on left, right, left, Mm -hmm. right. Um, for someone who doesn't want to be move their body, which is totally fine, um, you can literally take a piece of paper and draw back and forth. Mm. Just make a line. You don't have to be an artist. You don't need any fancy paper. Mm-hmm. But literally just take it from one side to the other and watch your hand draw back and forth. Mm-hmm. And think about whatever it is as you're drawing back and forth Think about whatever it is that you're, that's bothering you. Mm-hmm. 
just just let it flow. Let it flow as if you're on a train just sitting there watching mm-hmm. um, mountains fly by, just watching the landscape fly by. Don't judge what comes to your brain. Don't judge um, the thoughts, the, the images. Just let them flow as you're drawing back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, and just do that. And then when you're ready to be done, think about whatever it is that makes you happy. Mm. For me... It's being on a beach and listening to the waves. Mm-hmm. I know that's so cliche, no. but it is my <clears throat> happy place. It's cliche because it's true. It is yeah. so peaceful. Yeah. It is so peaceful, right? Um, for others, it, it might be, you know, um, their children's face mm-hmm. or some other type of, of lovely scene for them. But draw back and forth, stimul- stimulate your brain, make your eyes follow it. Um, and, and think of what's bothering you, let it flow through you, and then end that time with thinking about a happy place and, and containing whatever those emotions were. And, and in EMDR, they talk about putting it back in your container. Let's talk about the container. We both have a container. We do. And mine is very extravagant. And I know yours isn't. Um, so I am a big Harry Potter fan. Yes. Um, for so many reasons. Um, but my container is similar um, to the Green Dots vault, right? So you have to you have to like take a roller coaster down to get to it, and there's this big vault, and you gotta get past the dragon. So when I put my stuff in there, it's staying in there until I'm ready to get it back out. Uh, others, it's as simple as a mason jar. Yeah. So the image, so the exercise of visualizing your container, just let your brain. So how that works, how that worked for me with my therapist at the time, is that they just had me close my eyes and picture the first container that came to mind. Mm-hmm. The purpose of containment like that is so that you can, so that your brain can know that it's um, that there was a beginning and an end to that experience, and that you can take it back out when you need to or if you're ready to. But it starts right to give you back some power mm-hmm. about this isn't going to run over me, right? I and but I'm not locking it and I'm not burying it. I just know that it's safe there until I need it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is totally. That, is, is that the purpose? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a way for you to like really visualize how to put your whatever, your emotions, your reactions, um, you know, your behaviors that you don't really want to utilize right now in that container to get out later. Mm-hmm. So it's safe. It's kept there. It's safe. Um, it's still a part of you. Um, but, you know, it, it's again, it's a, it's a visualization of, of how to... Um, separate those things, and and if folks don't want to draw back and forth, they can they can literally like tap back and forth mm-hmm. on their legs. So when I learned about EMDR, um, it was shortly before I had my daughter Lila, and I quickly realized that I wanted to make sure that I had a swing that didn't go forward to backward, mm. but went from left to right because I understood. That the bilateral stimulation. So anytime she was upset as a baby, and I do this with my son now, who is one, I pick them up and I gently tap on Mm. on the back of them. I know this is a podcast; you guys can't see my hands, but I'm I'm moving my thumb and my ring finger back and forth to create that bilateral stimulation, just in touch Mm -hmm. on their back as I soothe them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just anything that's getting both sides of your body, both sides of your brain connected Mm -hmm. so folks who do EMDR therapy they can have anything from there's these little buzzies that you put in your hands and they they buzz back and forth or there's light bars there's 
headphones that have tones. Um, old school EMDR therapists just use their fingers in front of your eyes mm. and, and they walk you through it. Um, so it's a, it's a great um, proven therapeutic modality for trauma survivors. But anybody can utilize just the simple tools that we just talked about yeah. in their own moment of, of being stressed. The other thing that um, I think is really popular right now and really has a lot of benefit is just coloring. Yeah. I know that sounds so simple. No, though. It's magic, isn't it? It doesn't have to even be a fancy adult coloring book. You can find your kids' coloring books in your house or some random coloring book. I feel like they're all over my place. Just color. Mm -hmm. Just color. Or just uh, take your pen at work. and I doodle all the time in meetings, and it helps me actually focus and pay attention Mm -hmm. if my hands are moving, too. Um, But I will just draw big old swirly squiggle all over my paper and then I just color in all the little um you know shapes that I've made um in various ways um but that is another way of engaging your body in different parts of your brain and it helps you process through whatever it is that's you know um just sitting there on your on your emotions and and keeping you from you know, being fully present, mm-hmm. um, or from, um, you know, re- reducing your, your vicarious trauma level so that you can, um, function the way that you want to function and not snap on somebody when you have no patience left. Right. <laughs> or look at your wife and feel nothing for her because it has nothing to do with her. Right. It's just the emptiness of yeah. the experience of having, um, of having just held that that space for somebody else, right? I will never forget um, the moment I realized that I had a lot of... So I started my career as a sexual assault therapist, and um, this was early on in in my husband and I's relationship. We weren't married yet, but I I felt this shift of our sex life. Oh, yeah. Because I was hearing so many traumatic stories about sex. Yeah. That to come home and then want to have sex mm-hmm. was just never, like, I, I wanted to be the furthest I could away from the act of sex after mm-hmm. listening to these very horrific stories. Um, so I had to really work through that. And and to this day, I have a different relationship with sex than I did before I started this work that I just, I think about, I work through it. But, you know, after 12 years of hearing stories on and off it it really does change you and that's that's true vicarious trauma that it has it is residue that changes you yeah yeah so given that i think um we love our loyal audience of course and we want you to listen to every single thing you want to listen to but what's more important to us than the number of downloads in our podcast is the fact that you're caring for yourself in that process And so as Nicole shares that piece about her own story, um, you know, we're talking about a total of maybe 16 episodes and they're not all sexual assault. There's lots of survivor stories that, in fact, as we move into the summer months, there's going to be, we're going to have conversations around um, infant loss and pregnancy loss. And there, I mean, those are going to be triggering for most women. So um, what's really most important to us is that you've given yourself permission to decide when you've had enough. Uh, You don't need to finish an episode. Um, Maybe look for our lighter episodes as we drop them, and you can always come back to them later. They'll they'll live in the world of podcasting for as long as iTunes lets us stay. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, besides having that permission to draw their own boundary, and I love the bilateral stimulation. You know, we've Nicole and I talk, we geek out about EMDR, I don't know, weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of a lot of love for EMDR. It is I'm currently working through some um, trauma using that modality. And these are things that I haven't been able to get at in spite of my best effort to do so in talk therapy for years. And they were just still there. And EMDR has given me access to them differently. It's allowed the experience to finally move through me instead of being stuck. Like, for me, that's that's what it feels like. It feels like it gets stuck in a loop in my head. And I couldn't ever unstick it. Mm -hmm. Um, And EMDR seems to be this method for it to just finally break free so that I can feel it because I do feel it, but it moves through me and seems to... uh, My brain seems to... know now that it's over yeah and that's the thing about about ptsd about trauma is that our brain doesn't know it it thinks it's always in danger still right but emdr it doesn't wipe your emotions away it lessens them totally so that you can live with them yeah you can coexist yeah it is a process of desensitization that's exactly what it's doing right the other thing i would say uh to our listeners is if you want to listen to every episode, but you know it's going to trigger you or you know it's going to be a hard episode to listen to, maybe not listen to it right before you walk into a meeting Preach. or go yeah. to work, yeah. um, which I may have done a few times. Um, <laughs> maybe be very cognizant of when you're going to listen to it and have some space in between um, your ending of listening to it and, and the next thing that you're going to do with your life. Or... Maybe you're friends with another listener and you want to process it together. That's another thing that I have Great to do idea. with mm-hmm. um, with anytime I'm upset. I have to talk things out loud. Like you talk about it moving through your body. Mm-hmm. I have to verbally vomit on someone until I, I really process through things. And so I know who my safe people are. Um, both in my personal and professional life to mm-hmm. do that with, that won't judge me, that will just let me, you know, process it to death, and then um, then I'm good. So maybe that's something folks need to do after they listen to one of the pods that are hard. That's really good, too. That's such a great point. So coming up very soon, we are going to start to try to transition this virtual community that we have here into real-life conversations. Um, we have some plans that we'll be announcing soon. And that'll be yet another um, touch point for us to give you connection with real people um, to work through maybe the things that you hear on the podcast or or just whatever comes up for you as you really lean into the work that we're doing. We hear it from people all the time, this experience of that blog post completely broke me open or that podcast completely broke me open. And one of the things we're realizing is that that comes with a tremendous responsibility of helping you know what to do with what spills out of you in those in those moments. So we're working on creating that. But and this this podcast actually is a first step in that direction. Um, more to come for sure. Uh, but I feel like um, for today, Nicole, I really am super grateful you were able to give them some real tools and breathe, you guys. Like this is I, we cannot overstate mm-hmm. the power of your breath and your body. Um, we spend a lot of time at the upper third of our breath, right? Like it's almost uh, like rapid breathing. Um, for me, it's super, super important that I ground my feet. I put my hands on my knees. 
and I find a way to, to draw my breath all the way in and all the way out for five to ten breaths multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. Because then I, I remember that I am this whole human person in this body, that I'm safe, um, that I'm present. And and I get that without paying anybody any money, right? It's mm-hmm. That power lives in me to center myself that way. It lives in you too. Do you have anything else to share with them? Anything anything that you feel like you burning things? Um, just that any reaction that you're having to any type of um, story that's being shared or any type of trauma that maybe you've experienced uh, in your life is normal. Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong way to react to anything. Mm-hmm. So don't don't have that negative self-talk that that says how you're reacting isn't okay or um, don't judge the way you can or can't handle something. Um, every Everyone deals with it differently and everybody's tolerance level is different. So, you know, some folks may be able to have a higher tolerance of things than others. And, you know, I, I think we, we do this to ourselves a lot in terms of uh, trying to live up to this... Um, ideal standard especially with social media that we see it all the time yeah and how can that person do all these things be all this at once and the reality is no one can Mm -hmm. uh so we shouldn't beat ourselves up and um that's another thing i recommend when when folks are at their at their limit uh don't engage in anything that is going to continue to to make you fester so whether that's social media watching the news um you know, going and, and watching uh, a documentary about somebody who sexually assaulted someone, like maybe let's not do those things when we're at our, our peak of vicarious drama. Um, uh, so I, I actually tend to not, you know, a lot of people have asked me if I've seen the R. Kelly documentary or the Michael oh, Jackson documentaries. Yeah. Nope, I haven't. You're good. You're like, I've lived, I've, I've, I've heard all those stories. Yeah. I don't need to hear them. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't want to watch them. So... I watch things that usually have nothing to do with reality that are very mm-hmm. sci-fi based <laughs> so that I can escape and, and just, you know, mm-hmm. zone out for a little bit. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You're, um, all of those things give them permission to not be okay. Like that it's okay to not be okay. It is. Right? Yeah. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. No judgment. And, and let's all help each other not judge each other because we all do it. That'd be great. We all do it. I do it. We all do it. We're all guilty of it. But um, we can't hold each other to standards that are unattainable. That's good. I don't think we can top that. So um, I'm really hopeful that you found something for yourself today. Maybe not. Maybe not necessarily that I have been triggered by uh, time listening to the episodes, although possibly. Um, but we, I know I've said it a few times, we are really going to start focusing on giving you real tools that can help you to unpack these things that we are inviting you to realize. Um, it's just not fair to invite you to realize them and then like pat you on the ass and be like, have a great life. Yep. Good luck. Uh, that isn't the work that we're here to do. So um, thank you as always for your generous loyalty to the work that we're doing. We're super grateful to have your voice in this chorus of courage and we will see you back here next time.